Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to this week's episode of It's All About the Questions. I am always so happy to be here with all of you listeners listening live on iHeartRadio and WAXE and those listening on the podcast, as you've known, for last year and a half. Um, this has been my joy. This is something I love doing, and we have listeners in over 60 countries around the world as of today, and I got some amazing news last night. Spotify loves the show and asked to have it in their new podcast portion of Spotify. So um, we're going live on Spotify, another way yet that you can listen to the show between live on the air on iHeartRadio, the WAXE app. Um, You can listen on Libsyn, the website. It's all about the questions. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, um, Google, Google Play. There's so many different ways you can listen to the show. Let me know what your favorite way is. But uh, we are now going live on Spotify. It's very exciting. And today I have a guest that I met through one of our sponsors, Sazmax. Um, my other hat is I, I help them out. I'm on their strategic advisory board and I do some online stuff for them. And I met Will Reynolds because we did a webinar together. He is the CEO of Secure Docs and Contract Works. And based out in California, when I did an interview with him for SASMAX, I was just blown away by Will's knowledge of lean startups from his conversations on developing teams from looking at sales teams differently than other people looked at sales teams. So I just had to have him on the show. Plus, he's British and I love his accent and he makes me smile because he's just one of those really great human beings that you're so glad crossed your paths in the world today. So, Will, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you very much, Laura. I appreciate it. And thank you for the uh, introduction. Very oh, kind. <laughs> it, it's really great to have you on. And, um, you know, when you and I have spoken in the past on, on different things, what fascinated me about you is you ask questions differently than a lot of other people do both in your personal life and in your your business life as the CEO of Secure Docs, and you were with Appfolio before that. I mean, this is not, you've been in, you worked with um, Go to Meeting, Go to My PC, you moved to California from London in 2005, and you have a unique perspective. What is it in your life that you think brought you to look at things the way that you do? Very good question. Um, I think probably uh, the, the main thing would be, you know, working in companies where, you know, I've always enjoyed the companies I've worked at, so there's no there's no downside to that. But I've just, uh, I think, witnessed some issues that have occurred <clears throat> with sales teams and hiring and sales teams in particular that I've seen repeated over and over again. And I don't know that they're um, issues that need repeating. And I think companies make it sometimes very difficult for themselves when it com- comes to hiring salespeople and building sales teams. They make it a little bit harder than it necessarily needs to be. And uh, so I just looked at that with a, a little bit of a, a critical view. And it really just comes from, you know, gut feeling as much as anything. Um, you know, sometimes things just don't feel quite right. And you just wonder if there's a better or easier way of doing things. 
So, you know, we can get more into the details there if you're interested. But, um, yeah, that, w- that would be the overall thing. I just, I just sometimes feel companies make the whole process of selling, which is often the hardest part of building a company. Um, you can build a product, then you've got to get it sold. And the sales side is often the hardest piece to crack. But sometimes companies make it very difficult for themselves. So I just, just looked at that and wondered if there's easier ways of doing things. In what way do you believe that companies make it more difficult for themselves? Well, I think um, w- one thing that they often do is they 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 work from a playbook um, that has maybe been proven in other companies, but doesn't necessarily fit when you move into a new a new company or a new product or a new service. And I think there's an assumption that there's a, a type of person or a type of um, you know sales organization that every company needs to have. Um, and I just found that I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, and, and I think sometimes, you know, a new company starts up and maybe there's someone with a certain set of experience that's involved or someone who's bought in with a certain set of experience that's, that, that's involved. And they're, they're, they're brought in and they, they, they've done it before at another company and they use exactly the same strategy without any um, consideration of whether any changes are required based on the type of um, product that the new company has developed. So... Um, yeah, I just I would just you know suggest that sometimes looking at what you're trying to do as a company isn't necessarily solved by the traditional you know hire a VP of sales and hire as many salespeople as fast as you can and give them all a quota immediately and you know keep your fingers crossed that it's going to work exactly like it did in the last company you worked at. <laughs> um, I think there's sometimes easier ways of doing things and uh, and people don't necessarily take a critical enough view of um, you know any any differences or quirks or unique aspects of the company they're trying to build. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective you just outlined because so many gurus and experts out there say, use our framework, use what we're doing, you know, here's the playbook, as you put it, if you implement this, it will work. And it's been proven to work in lots of organizations. Mm-hmm. At, at what point do you say, okay, I'm perhaps starting with this framework because I don't know the first thing, you know, I have a number of entrepreneurs that are starting companies or ones that have mm-hmm you know, established companies, but now they're growing in, in size. How do you, what do you say to them when, when they're evaluating, you said gut feeling and things like this, but mm-hmm. when they're taking a framework from yeah. something that they've purchased or some guru or, you know, something they've seen successfully work somewhere else, what do you say to them to help them evaluate how they need to shift it? Sure. Um, <clears throat> a number of things. So firstly, I would say, you know, don't assume that it's going to work again, right? So at least look at what you're doing with a critical eye. Um, you know, speak to customers so or prospective customers. Go out to them and ask them, you know, how do you buy? What, what does the sales process look like for you? I can give you an example. We have two products on the market, and they're very, very similar products. There's some feature differences between them, but they're positioned differently to appeal to different buyers. And the sales process is completely different. So we have one product, SecureDocs Data Room, which is bought by people in finance who are doing deals, excuse me, like uh, uh, M&A deals, you know, mergers and acquisitions and and fundraising, and they use our product to share documents um, during that process. And they tend to buy uh, very quickly. Um, They do a quick trial of the product, 
and the decision is fairly rapid. Um, they purchase on a credit card, and there's not a lot of people involved in the decision-making process, so very quick and easy. Our other product, ContractWorks, which is a development on uh, the, the, the document-sharing platform, um, specifically devi- designed more for legal departments who have contracts to manage, um, that is bought by legal departments who take a lot longer to make decisions, uh, several, you know, a couple of months versus a couple of weeks. Um, they get a lot of people involved in the process, and they will want to pay for the product probably with a check. So the whole process from start to finish is completely different, even though we're selling a product that's very, very, very similar. So selling into different markets and different spaces. So we have to take a different approach. So we've we specialized our sales team to, um, you know, uh, handle those two different, two, two different approaches. Um, so we found it ourselves just within the two products that we uh, sell that you can have this very different uh, kind of customer perspective on what they expect to be doing during a sales cycle. So those, those would be a couple of things that you could look at. And, uh, you know, always speaking to the customer and asking them what they, uh, what they expect is, uh, is, a, is a great way to go. There's no one better to ask, really, um, when it comes to, you know, how, how are people going to buy things. Yet so, so often business owners are afraid to ask their customers. It's almost like they're afraid the answer they may get. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's, it's true. And the... Um, the approach for pretty much everything you do should be driven by customers. Um, you know, one of the one of the kind of the, the tenets of, of of the kind of the lean startup model is is this idea of um, validating the market or market validation uh, of a product or a service. So this idea that you can go out and um, understand what the market wants and how the market's going to buy something before you even build it. And traditionally, most products get built and then people go out and find a market for it. But a lot of software in particular these days is built based on the market, the val- you know, the validation of the market before a single line of code is written. Or maybe you, you, you build some kind of um, you know, prototype um, or working model and you take it out to the market and you say to people, you know, would you buy this? And ideally, you get them to maybe even you know, sign an order or place some kind of commitment for the product before it's built as well. That's hard to do, but it's possible. Um, so this is how a lot of software companies in particular are uh, approaching the market. And uh, there's no reason why other types of companies can't do it either. Um, you know, f- figure out the marketplace before you build something. It's a much less expensive and time-consuming way to go about things. I've worked with a number of my private clients, and sometimes they get stuck in this endless loop of continually asking for feedback and trying to understand it to the point where it's a year or two years later and they still have not put a product out there. (laughs) Yeah, it can be paralyzing. Yeah, absolutely. It can be paralyzing. At what point would you say somebody needs to just go, okay, I've got data, let's start? That's great, great, great question. Yeah, you absolutely have to put a, a time frame on it. And we've tried to do that. I mean, the number of interviews that we've done based around new products usually runs to maybe you know somewhere between 25 30 40 that kind of number i'm not saying that's the perfect number at all but that seems to have worked out for us so if we've spoken to you know 25 companies we're starting to get a pretty good feel for um you know what they might want and how they might buy it and you're starting to see patterns and trends and i would probably maybe time box it you know maybe spend two, three, four weeks on that process. 
you know, probably don't need to spend six months on it. You know, it depends on the, the scale of the product and the complexity of the product and the amount of, you know, money and time that you have, I guess, to, to a certain extent. But if you're really at the kind of startup stage, I think you can probably time box that process. And then when it comes to adding features, you know, sometimes if you're adding big features or you're doing a big extension to a product, it's a good idea to go through a similar process. Again, that might be 10 customer interviews, 10 or 15. Um, go out there and speak to uh, speak to a few existing customers about uh, would this new feature extension help them? What would they get from it? What would they pay for it? Uh, and that kind of thing. So I think it's very reasonable to time box it. And yeah, you can absolutely get stuck in an infill loop. And, and if you're getting to a position where you are not getting the feedback you're expecting or you're not getting the answers you're expecting, well, maybe it's time to rethink the strategy. Maybe it's not quite the right product that people want. Um, if you're not getting kind of definitive answers or any kind of clear guidance, then you know maybe, maybe you're not on the right track. That's one of the whole points of going through the process in the first place. I, I love that you said that because as, as you're saying it, I'm thinking through you know my whole idea for this show was the right questions can change your life my book as well what would a wise woman do was this whole concept of so many people ask questions to get the answers that they want versus mm -hmm. the answers that they need mm -hmm. and that's exactly what you were just talking about the whole idea that you know you're doing this research because you think this is what people want you think this is how the product should look but the feedback you're getting hopefully from the right sampling is well no <laughs> Yeah. Well, that no, no is what you really want. Okay. So you want to hear the no's, <clears throat> you know, the idea of, um, you know, we're, we're on the wrong track is, um, uh, is, is almost as valuable as on the right track, right? We're not going to waste any more time going down this, <laughs> this blind alley. Let's, let's go and, you know, tweak our offering and, and bring it back and talk to them again. <clears throat> so uh, getting, getting to the and no that's, is, And that's uh, perfect because we're going to go to the first commercial break with everybody thinking, <laughs> Are you on the right or the wrong track? Either is good information. We'll be right back yeah. for more with Will Reynolds, CEO of SecureDocs. Will, you were just talking before the commercial break about whether you're on the right or the wrong track when you're getting feedback to develop your product. It's very difficult for a lot of people to hear that the direction they're heading is not where the market wants. They want to be the thought leader. They want to be the one creating the cutting edge, bleeding edge products. How do you know if the sampling, and I don't even know if there's an answer to this, okay, Well, um, yeah. How do you know if the data you're getting is accurate data or if it's inaccurate, maybe perhaps you've got the wrong sampling or because you're too early in the whole idea of creating um, something unique to the world? Yeah, great question. I mean, the, the ultimate test is will someone buy it? So if you can go through a process where someone is willing to say to you, if you, you know, if this product, this product is, you know, built out, to the point as you described, it solves problems for us, it solves enough problems for us that we will pay for it, then, um, then, then you're, you're onto something. Now getting to that point uh, can be very difficult and one of the biggest pitfalls actually that you can come across when you're going through this kind of process of, of validating whether there's a market is getting uh, like a false positive. So the inevitable thing as an entrepreneur or <clears throat> in a startup environment is that you go out and you speak to people that you know, 
right? So the, the easiest thing to do is call people you know, friends, family, <laughs> uh, people you've done business with before, local companies. And the natural inclination for people is to give you, you know, great feedback. You know, hey, well, this is a this is a fabulous idea. We love what you're doing here. And uh, they'll tell you maybe what you want to hear um, because maybe they like you or they want to encourage you. But it doesn't necessarily mean they'll pay for your product. So that's that's one pitfall that um, I've, I've definitely seen happen. Um, but uh, ultimately, the, the main test is, you know, how far through the sales cycle can you get? And um, is someone willing to pay a price for your product that makes it worthwhile you going through the process of building it out fully and, and establishing a company? Um, so if you can get to a point where people say, you know, we'll try this, we'll beta test it for you, we'll, we'll run it for you, and ultimately, yeah, we'll pay you for it, um, that's, that's the ultimate test. So that's, that should be the objective. Um, but it can be hard to get there, and, um, and just got to be careful of getting false positives from people who are trying to encourage you, but at the same time, maybe um, you know, maybe not prepared to pay for the product at the end of the day. So it's a matter of asking the right people the right questions. <laughs> the right people, the right questions. Well, the hardest people to um, find to go through this kind of process are people you don't know, right? So um, you know, finding people you do know or you have some kind of link with is is usually relatively easy. If you're we're we're in a town called Santa Barbara in California, and there's people associated with that company who've been there for a long time, and we know a bunch of other companies in the local area, and uh, so it's quite easy for us to pick up the phone and speak to people who run other software companies in the area and they can give fabulous feedback and a lot of them have become customers uh, but at the same time you know when they're friends and uh, you know maybe related to some people then you know you just got to be careful that they're um, they're giving you uh, critical feedback and they would uh, you know even though they say they like their product is it actually solving problems that they'd be prepared to uh, pay to solve it, you're located in Santa Barbara which is mm -hmm. not an area that most of the people in the world think of as tech startup area. I, I know it's, I think it's becoming more known for it, but it's yeah. not really what people typically uh, think of as Silicon Valley or tech area. What made you guys decide to create your company there? Um, it's more um, circumstance. So it's where we lived already. And the area has actually um, become uh, pretty pretty well renowned, actually, for, for technology startups. And there must be I don't know forty, fifty companies uh, in the area that are doing well. And there's a number that have uh, historically become very successful. So there's actually a lot of people employed in technology, software, medical devices, um, those those kinds of industries. And so there's some pretty big employers there now, and there's a there's a pretty big pool of talent. So, you know, we're only, we're 100 miles from LA, which is exploding, um, you know, with, uh, uh, with, with technology companies. And obviously, Silicon Valley is 300 miles to the north, and there's direct flights in and out. So it's very well served. It's very well served by the venture capital community as well. Um, but our company was started there just because that's where the founders were. We, we worked for uh, a bunch of us have worked together um, at companies like Appfolio, which started in 2006, I think, in uh, Santa Barbara. I was a fairly early employee there. It now employs uh, 800 people, went public uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so very successful. Those kind of success stories, you know, breed success. You know, people come out of those 
companies start new businesses like like ourselves and uh, it also means there's a track record in the area that's uh, attractive to um you know venture capitalists and uh, and 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 other such uh, you know networks of people that that, that enable uh, the startup community so it's very healthy very very healthy uh, place to start a business um, but we're there just by circumstance because it's where the founders were based when we when we get off um, but we wouldn't have it any other way it's just a great place to be and um, it's a great place to have a kind of a work life balance as well i love the whole idea of santa barbara i uh, i've never been there my mom went a number of years ago and her name was Barbara so she just loved going to a place (laughs) called Santa Barbara and you know reading about St. Barbara and and all the other things that that area is is known for other than the beauty of Mm -hmm. the physical place so I love that there's like a link to my mom on the show today (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it's a it's a beautiful place to visit Um, no one ever comes here and says they didn't enjoy it so um, we're very lucky from that point of view but uh, it is also a great place to have a business and you know the the size of the town and the catchment area is big enough so that you can locate a business here and attract uh, attract you know talented people to work and stay here so it's a great place to be well when we come back from the national news I, I want to talk some more about how you decide where to run your business and then you also mm-hmm. mentioned venture capitalists but you guys did it very differently than most people think tech startups doing things. So we'll we'll get into that some more when we come back, if that's okay with you, Will. Sounds great, yeah. All right, so we are here with Will Reynolds, CEO of SecureDocs, and, and another one of their great products is ContractWorks. We're talking about the th- thinking differently when you're starting your business from one of the top guys who's really thinking differently about sales, about starting your business, how you do business, and I love the whole concept of does your playbook you're using work for your company think about that and we'll be right back after the national news if you're just joining us live on iHeartRadio, we are here with will reynolds ceo of secure docs and if you are on the podcast you missed the national news lucky you <laughs> so will we were talking before the the news break about the whole concept of um building your business not necessarily doing it in what might be considered a traditional physical location. Do you think that where you create your business matters in today's world? Yeah. So, yeah, yes and no. And I, and I don't know that there's a just a, a clear answer on that at all. There's, there's obviously some huge benefits that uh, certain types of companies get by being located in certain areas. There's, there's a reason why Silicon Valley is so um, uh, so successful, so popular, um, and so uh, you know it's, it's the place to go for technology companies. There's a reason why you know places like Boston and San Diego are hubs for biotechnology companies because there's this uh, kind of feeder effect you get when companies locate in, in the same areas. So there are there are clear benefits there. Um, they they come with some downsides though. You know, Silicon Valley is an extraordinarily expensive place to be. Um, both as for a company and for employees um, it's uh, probably one of the most expensive places you can live uh, in the US so it, it brings some some problems you know if you're an early stage technology company and you want to hire engineers you, you better have a lot of money if you're going to be located in Silicon Valley you've got to have a lot of money in the bank to do that so there are alternatives uh, out there and um, you know it's uh, it's it's you know it's not 
although there's a well-worn path to these locations, there are other ways to do things. And obviously, um, technology is available to us these days that allows people to work from anywhere. So I think there are alternatives, but we can't forget the reasons why places like Silicon Valley are so um, so successful. You know, there's a hub of brain power there. There's a hub of money and availability of, you know, venture capital that's unlike anywhere else in the world. So the reasons are good ones, but um, there are alternatives and uh, there are downsides as well to those to those um, centers of, of excellence. When you guys created SecureDocs, you didn't go the traditional route of most tech companies, you know, in your location and, and other things, the way you've talked mm-hmm. about sales teams, the way you've talked about bringing people on board in your company and the way you think. You did not use venture capital, correct, to build up your company? Correct, we didn't. Um, we had a we had a slight advantage from most startups in that we actually our product span out of um, a, a public company called Appfolio. Um, it was very very early, so the product was uh, you know just had had a very small revenue stream, so it was very early. So it was a very much a, a startup environment, and there were a very small number of people involved when we span it out. But we did have a few customers and we did have a little bit of cash flow. So we did have, you know, that going for us initially. And then we self-funded um, three of the founders, um, uh, you know, wrote a, wrote a fairly nominal size uh, check each to kind of self-fund the company. So it's the kind of money that people would usually um, put together through themselves or friends and family, you know, that kind of seed stage uh, funding. So that's, that's how we did it. We never went for outside funding. Um, we haven't needed to. We took a, a, a very kind of, well, we had to take a very hard line kind of bootstrapped approach to uh, running it initially. And uh, it, did, it did actually focus us and force us on, you know, one major objective that we had, which sounds like a very simple one, but the objective was to make more money than we spend, um, which is not actually the objective of most technology startups, most technology companies, look at how much money can we spend <laughs> and then how can we get more money? Um, you know, there's a, there's usually a timeline that they have in mind to kind of burning through their cash. Well, we took the opposite approach. We said, you know, let's make more money than we spend and then we don't have to worry about this and we don't have to worry about um, uh, worry about going out for funding and speaking to third parties, you know, like venture capitalists or banks. Um, to acquire money, we can just uh, <clears throat> try and do it ourselves. So um, it did. It did cause us to focus on, you know, solving the sales problem. How do we acquire customers um, with the right amount of, uh, you know, in the right time frame and for the right kind of expenditure? You know, what's the cost of acquiring a customer? How can we do this efficiently? It really focused us on that problem um, versus, you know, we've got. $10 million in the bank from a venture capitalist and now we're going to you know, hire a whole ton of people and kind of try and force the issue. We had to really figure it out from a, from a kind of a grassroots level initially. I have like three or four different questions wobbling around in my mind right now based on that. Yeah, so I'm just yeah. trying to pick, pick one to start with along that conversation. You know, we hear all the time of startup companies, especially in the tech world, that just literally burn through all the cash and then they go belly up and and they just fail mm-hmm. whereas you guys you started asking some radically different questions why do you think it is and i know this is very hypothetical and i'm not exactly sure that you can answer it but what is it about those other companies that 
they're not thinking that way? Is it just because there's so much money or because their products aren't really viable yet? Or is it something else? Okay. So those are both good points. Um, you know, if you haven't proven that you can sell your product, if you don't have a, a kind of a repeatable sales model, then, um, then you know, it's going to be it's going to be hard for you. So um, you're going to need money because if it's not repeatable and it's very expensive to go and acquire a customer, then you're going to need money in the bank because essentially you, you're going to be losing money every time you acquire a customer. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be uh, it can be very uh, difficult for companies to focus down on uh, what it what it means to become profitable. You know, it's uh, uh, quite often the the playbook is, you know, put a large amount of money in the bank from a venture capital firm and then go out <clears throat> and build your company uh, as quickly as you can with a view to, you know, grabbing market share, for example, which is fine. Um, as long as, uh, you know, you've got uh, a deep reservoir of money to go back to if you're, if you're burning through more than you're spending. So... Um, yeah, I don't know that, uh, you know, it has to always be done that way, but that is the kind of the traditional way that's been proven through many, many successful technology companies. The downside is there tends to be a lot of attrition as well, right? So if venture capital companies invest in 10 businesses, they don't expect them all to succeed. They'll expect to have a couple of big wins. They'll have a couple maybe that are moderate wins and they'll expect failure. Um, and, uh, you know, the entrepreneur just has to figure out, are they okay with those odds? I sit here and, and wonder, as I'm listening to you, saying to myself, well, what if those ones that failed were asking different questions like what you guys did because you bootstrapped? Would they yeah. have been able to be more successful if they treated it not as an unlimited free money supply? Mm-hmm. It's it's a fascinating kind of question that you could just delve into the whole what ifs yeah. forever. Oh yeah, uh, and I bet there's there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who have been through the process and wondered, you know, had they done it differently, would they perhaps have been successful? A lot of entrepreneurs who've been, you know, through businesses that have have maybe uh, failed down that road. Um, and, and one of the, one of the reasons is, you know, potentially um, it's just one of time. Uh, when you have investors, they expect a return within a certain time frame. And the reality is that building companies can take a lot of time. And, and there, there can be um, a lot of uh, impatience for, um, you know, the, the right kind of return. And I remember a, a mentor who um, was was one of the founders at Outfolio and another company that I worked at who, who works with us still today. One of his pieces of advice very early on for us was be, um, uh, patient for growth, but impatient for profits, and and this is something that uh, uh, that we've really stuck by. So, patient for growth and impatient for profit. And the the traditional view is is usually uh, the opposite. So, it's you know companies they want to see growth. You know, Uber has billions of dollars in the bank, and they just want growth, 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 market share, market share, market share, and that's working for them, and it's great. Um, but it doesn't necessarily work for everyone. And if you take the opposite approach and you're patient for the growth, then um, you know maybe it's maybe it's a slightly less stressful way to go about things as well. But it's a mind shift for a lot of different companies. I mean, let's look at Amazon, which is now the the behemoth that it is. 
I remember the first couple of years it started out, everybody thought they'd fail because they were burning through so much cash just yeah. trying to create it. And it had to be five, ten years before all of a sudden there was that sea change that people started going, oh, yeah, it's much easier to go buy online than yeah. it is to go to the stores. Absolutely. It took it took years. It took years and years. And of course, they've been very successful. And you can look at the Amazons and the Ubers and the Facebooks and so on. And, and these are all incredible success stories that, you know, required huge amounts of venture capital to get them going. And they, they are global plays that, um, you know, have massive uh, resources, but also massive expenses to get to that kind of scale. Uh, and, and the reality is, though, you can still build a very successful technology or software company or medical device company on a much smaller scale um, in a different way. Um, you know, that, those, guys are, those guys get all the headlines and, and great for them. And, you know, there's, if you have that aspiration, then, then, then go for it. But there are other ways to do it. And uh, you don't necessarily have to go down that route. Um, your so com we, we your company is a great example of that, how yeah. you're doing it. It is, and, and there's plenty of others doing it as well. Um, so uh, there's a little bit of a movement, I think, towards this kind of approach. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would encourage people to at least explore it. Okay, uh, and we're going to explore it right after we come back from our last commercial break. We'll be right back. So. I, I love your um, comment before this last commercial break, patient for growth, impatient for profit, and how you can flip that. I think it's a great question that any entrepreneur should be asking themselves and determining which is the right way for them yeah uh, yeah absolutely it is a it is a, a different way to look at things but if you are able to sell a product at a profit and the product works well and you can start nurturing referrals and um, you know growing growing your sales channels effectively then growth will come, right? So it's 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 going to follow. Um, it's just you know it may it may just take a little bit longer than you want or expect, or if you've read a lot of business books and uh, have an idea about how quickly <laughs> uh, your company should grow, then maybe maybe you know you got to temper those expectations a little bit. But um, it's great to be able to build a profitable business, and growth will come. Um, if you're patient. And then, of course, um, you know, if you haven't given half the business away to other people, then you're going to own a lot more of it at the end of the day. That's a really good point. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've known you only as your current role. We've had some cool conversations when I've done some other interviews with you about how you got to the United States with your family from, from the UK. How is it different here from living and growing up and doing business in the UK? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it is, it is there's, so, there's so many similarities for obvious reasons, uh, not least um, language and so on, uh, but it just has a different feel to it. And uh, I immediately felt it moving out here. I moved out here in 2005. It just, it's, just a, it's just a different atmosphere. There's a different expectation of um, what you can achieve, and it's hard for me to say that as a, as a, you know, as a, <laughs> a proud Brit, uh, but it's just, it's just, it's just the truth. And um, 
in in the UK, it is possible to go and do your own thing and start from nothing, but I think it's a lot harder. Um, whereas here, you know, the the dream is uh, the dream is alive, and uh, it's easier here than anywhere else in the world. I wouldn't say to say the UK as being, you know, a, a, a bad place or anything. It's probably very similar to you know many many other countries. It's just easier here, and you get that kind of feeling that. Um, the opportunity here is greater. And when it comes to starting a company, you just have this immediate advantage that anyone else has in any other country that you have this massive marketplace in the U.S. that you can sell into, just massive, successful, you know, curious and, and uh, okay also with taking some risk kind of marketplace. You know, the economy here is just vast versus, you know, the, the U.K., which is probably about the same size economy as California on its own. So immediately companies in the U.S. have this uh, uh, essential advantage over any other country in the world and that they have this huge pool of people that they can um, reach out to, to, you know, to build a company and to sell products. So um, I love it. It's a great place to be. Was there anything more difficult than another to sort of shift your thinking around or adjust to living here than there? Not really. No, this is a this is a pretty play, easy place to live. California certainly is. I would think um, football would be a big difference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, football football's a different different idea uh, where I come from. Um, but uh, yeah, it did get me. A, a, you know, I do enjoy my sports, so it did uh, take me a little bit of time to get used to uh, some of the U.S. sports here. But um, I enjoy them now, and yeah, the World Series uh, games were fantastic the other day. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, come on, you're California. You, I'm a Yankee fan, so that was kind of hard. I was really happy that Houston won just to boost um, that city's, you know, spirits I, and I stuff agree. like that, and economy, I agree. which they really. I need. agree. Yeah, it was a, it was a good feeling. Yeah. If you could have done anything other than what you're doing today, what would you be doing? <laughs> um. Well, before I moved here, I was working in uh, uh, headhunting and uh, recruitment. So had I not moved here, I'd probably still be involved in that industry, actually. And it's really, uh, it's a very interesting industry. It's probably why, you know, I enjoy hiring people and I have a good, I think I have a good feel for, you know, who I want to work with and, uh, you know, what what makes a good employee. Um, so that has given me an advantage working in that space. But had I not moved out to the U.S., I'd probably still be working in that space. Um, and going back further than that, the only other thing I can kind of point to is uh, is a survey I did. I remember at school when maybe I was 12 or 13 with the careers department where you fill out a survey where they try and give yeah. you some guidance. We do that here too. <laughs> you do that here. Well, they came out with me uh, for a landscape gardener. So... I always like to think that if I hadn't, you know, ended up in an office or selling software, that maybe I'd be doing something outside, something a little creative. Um, but that's that's my best guess, uh, based on based on something that I was told when I was. Do you like you should, gardening? I do actually. Yeah, I do quite enjoy it. It's quite therapeutic. Um, don't don't seem to get enough time to do it, but um, it is nice to be outside and uh, um, and uh, yeah. So I do. So it's not a bad, it's not a bad, not a bad idea. Maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can try to weave the different things. You know, the the headhunting, the landscape, and what you do now, and create some 
new app or something right. <laughs> that can help well, people. It's, 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 well, it's interesting how um, Silicon Valley is actually uh, taking very traditional industries and kind of putting the software playbook on them. And I don't know if you've seen what's happened in uh, like the mattress space, bedding. Yes. Right? Um, and now all these, uh, there's several of them that have popped up that sell online, and uh, one or two of them are actually in Silicon Valley, and they sell with a with a very um, uh, subscription software type sales model. Um, it's, it's, you know, and, and a lot of these uh, traditional products are being sold that way. I don't know if it's possible to do landscape gardening that way, but it is interesting to see how traditional products are now being sold with um, uh, a subscription software type business model um, to, to, with, with incredible results. There's got to be a way to do the landscape gardening because I'm not really good with that stuff. <laughs> My mom had the most amazing green thumb. And I've often said, wouldn't it be really cool if you could send like a photo of your property and, and the direction of the sun and stuff. And the app would say, okay, for your area of the country, here are the plants that you should plant. Here's uh, an idea of how to lay it out. And, oh, we, we can ship you all of those plants. That's brilliant. And oh, there and go, there's a there contractor you, you, right in your area that can plant them for you. There's your next business, Laura. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, some last thought you'd like to share with my listeners about anything? Um, yeah, I think um, you know what, what we talked about earlier. Just um, if you if you're thinking of starting a company or you're, or you're in the process or you've been doing it for a little while and it's tough, um, you know, just take a very critical look at what you're doing and um, how you're doing it and, and don't be afraid to, you know, maybe step outside the uh, the standard model. Um, speak speak to customers and, and, you know, understand what the buying cycle looks like, how people want to buy, why they'll buy, what they'll, you know, what they're prepared to pay to solve certain problems. All of these things, it's very easy to build assumptions in a business model, you know, the traditional way of doing things is let's let's build a business model, right, and then go and you know go and execute on that business model. Well, what if your model was wrong? <laughs> um, what if you made a couple of assumptions in your model that could be easily disproved by um, you know a little bit of extra research and a little bit of extra digging? Um, so it's always good to um, you know figure out where the problems lie and be very ruthlessly honest with yourself if it's not really working out quite right uh, and test new channels and uh, uh, and think outside uh, think outside the traditional playbook if uh, if things aren't going quite to plan so uh, those those would be those would maybe be the closing thoughts not okay. sure if those are useful but uh, they are I'll I love the, <laughs> love the ruthlessly honest part with yourself how do people reach out to you if they wanted to find out more about secure docs or about you or had a question about something that you talked about yeah, absolutely. So uh, e- email's absolutely the best way. Um, it's will.reynolds, R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, at securedocs.com. And securedocs is secure, and then D-O-C-S dot com. And uh, more contact info on our website as well. Uh, but it uh, would be great to hear from people. Yeah, you really provided so much valuable information for my listeners, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that, Will. You, it's you have a unique perspective on business that too often we don't hear from CEOs that they're willing to share how you have to think differently. And um, I'm really grateful for you being here with me today. 
Well, thank you for having me, Laura. It's great, great chatting to you. Uh, it was a pleasure. And I've, I've got like all these um, little tweetable things. Does the playbook you're using work for your company? Don't assume because it worked once it will work for you in your company yeah. this time. I mean, that that's such a... So many times we want cookie cutter. And, and I think if my listeners took nothing else from the show today but the fact that you have to think for yourself, you can start with the cookie cutter, but you need to think differently and evaluate if it's not working. That, that's an amazing takeaway. Absolutely. Not everything is plug and play. Um, very, very rarely is in business. <laughs> so be, be skeptical of anyone who suggests it would be. <laughs> I love that. Not everything is plug and quake play coming from a guy who's in tech. All right, everybody, remember the right questions can change your life. What are you asking today? Hug someone you love. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.